Right then, gents. August. John, good news. You Yay. finally had your operation. Finally had it, yeah. Got me a new back and I'm upright and fit for relaunch. <laughs> yeah, finally. And have you been using nature to uh, inspire your recovery? I have hugely, actually. Yeah. Um, I mean, one of the exercises that I'm encouraged to do is obviously walking. uh, And, you know, as we say in just about every single podcast we do, get out there, do your walking. Get on a treadmill. Well, mm, the the, the nice thing that I've been having to go nice and slowly. And uh, what's one of the other things as as a sort of nature buff you say to people? Don't hurry it too much, you know. Don't don't speed walk everywhere you go because you'll miss too much. So, I've been doing a lot of nice slow walking, just padding around with the dog and stopping and looking and uh, seeing quite a bit of wildlife, which we'll come on to uh, during the course of the podcast. But um, yeah, it's been it's been wonderful to get out there and just be able to wander around without any pain. <laughs> so mm, that's absolutely. Good. Yeah, good news. And I happen to know, uh, evidence that I was shown today uh, in other news, that Rob has a very good crop growing in the garden, Robbie. Yeah, the tomatoes. I've had a great yield. So, um, yeah, all of the tomatoes have come through now. Um, They were green for quite a long time and actually Mm. not even very green. They were quite, they were like really pale. so I hadn't seen them that colour before because so I'd given a couple away, a couple of plants to my family, and even they had, they had a couple of other plants that they'd either grown themselves or bought. And yeah, the unripe like state of my tomatoes was nearly white compared to to theirs. But mm. in the last week, they've started to turn, and so um, oh, yeah, good. I'm looking forward to the payoff. But yeah. they're I'm definitely have to not get red. Creative. To- Go on. They're, they're definitely not yellow tomatoes, are they? Well, no. Well, the packet. They're red on the packet, so I think they'll turn. Mm. But um, I think I have yeah. heard Rob um, that because uh, a few people have contacted me and said your tomatoes ripening, and I've been in a similar thing. I've got a couple of greenhouses, and I've been saying, no, in actual fact, they haven't. You know, they're they're just hanging there, and they're green, gone a little, starting to go a little mm. bit orange, but they're not ripening. And, um, but we've had such nice weather, John. Why is that? Yeah, but it's been a bit too nice. It seems that it's been a bit too hot. And um, now you have to forgive me, so I can't remember what it is. But uh, a, a friend sort of like did the usual thing of Googled it. Why aren't my tomatoes ripening? And it can be a lack of it's a, a chemical, something like lucithin or something like that. L-U-C something. Um 
And when it's very, very hot, the tomatoes don't produce enough of it to ripen. So, mm. you know, maybe it's a kind of sort of adaptation against sort of, you know, not being able to have uh, seeds that mature inside a fruit because there's just not enough moisture around. You wouldn't have thought so because they're being artificially watered. But, um, you know, I don't, I don't know the true answer to that. But I think people across the country have had, you know, I mean, we have had ludicrously high temperatures this summer. And I think it's it's knocked some of our sort of, you know, bog standard greenhouse and garden plants for six a little bit. Yeah, it's weird. Like now that they're turning, they're turning really quick. Like I can notice yeah. the difference between morning and night between like the colour on the vines that are turning. So I'm yeah. hoping by the weekend I'll be able to try them. But um, yeah, I've and when got you look back, Rob, loads. I'm thinking about sort of like all those sort of podcasts ago when we were talking about, you know, just having a little go at grow your own. And you've you've gone nearly sort of like, you know, got a business. full course on got it commercial now. You're, You're a farmer. farmer. Yeah. <laughs> How do you feel about all that? You've nurtured these things. <laughs> I know. From, no, it from is really cool. Go. Yeah. What are no, your plans with them? Yeah, I'm going to have to, as I was about to say, I'm going to have to get quite creative, I think, because there must be hundreds growing out there. Like, so <laughs> I think, John, you've said in the past about chutneys and things like that so yeah. i think um yeah. yeah it won't all be used and eaten fresh i don't think um but yeah no it's exciting i'll see hopefully they taste yeah. nice anyway because there's um yeah a hell of a lot of them that's a nice segue into section one you mentioning taste robert yes. because our first section is of course getting some sense out of father getting some sense out of father so this is where john runs us through where the various things uh, that we can enjoy from a, a sensory perspective in the month that we're talking about so john for august what do you want to start with right i thought i would start with something that followed on quite neatly from our last podcast where um we were talking all about the delicious smell of um hay and we we sort of was just looking at the fact that uh hay is a product made from grass and it's got two what you might call sister products that are also made from the same grass but cut at a slightly different time and slightly preserved in a different way that being the haylage and the silage um so as one does when one does a podcast one had the obvious inquiry well what about straw so i thought actually yeah if whether you're if you're driving around the countryside or if you take the train to places right now for this month you'll be looking out and the fields have gone that beautiful sort of biscuit color uh because we've got ripening cereal crops now these crops will mostly be uh wheat barley and uh oats and uh, if you get up close to them, you obviously can tell the difference. Uh, they're, they're all obviously uh, cultivated varieties of grass, um, but they've been cultivated uh, for food. Now, when they're harvested, obviously the, the, the product is the seed head. That's where you get all the, um, the sort of the granules of wheat, barley and the oats and they will be um the, the the kernel is taken out of them and that's what we use in you know for making flour for things Beer? like bread and biscuits. Pardon? 
Beer, beer? yes, beer, barley for beer. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, wheat also is is used quite a lot in the um, drinks industry, and oats very much for for porridge and such like. But there's a huge byproduct, which is the stems of that, which is i i the stalks, and that is straw. And that no. will be once the <laughs> harvest has been taken off, the combine harvester will. It'll go through, and it's, I mean, incredibly sort of like a complex piece of machinery because it it does things that in bygone years would have taken a lot of manpower, sort of thrashing the heads uh, to get the kernels of wheat separate from the stalks and such like. And uh, that's all done in a combine now, spat out into a trailer, and it will go off to a storage facility where it has to be very carefully maintained so it's the right moisture level to be used in the food industry. So um, what you get left behind in the field is tons and tons of stalks. So then another tractor will come along with a trailer that will bale it and it will either put it in square bales or round bales, etc. And by and large, uh, it's used for uh, bedding for livestock, uh, although it is considered sort of edible for livestock, particularly oat straw, uh, which is the, the softest of them. Barley straw is also considered uh, pretty good. And, you know, if you've got cattle overwintering in barns and things like that, that will be a very good source of um, fibre and food, though it, the, the, it hasn't got the protein content. And uh, an- another big use of uh, barley straw particularly, uh, and especially in weather like this actually, is... Uh, used in bales where it's uh, thrown literally into lakes to try and stop outbreaks of blue-green algae. So sometimes you'll go to these sort of like ornamental lakes, particularly if they've got a few too many uh, wildfowl on them. And uh, because the oxygen level in the water will keep uh, sort of falling and then obviously all your invertebrate life upwards will start to die off. So... Bar straw bales are used a lot in conservation, things like that. And one other use, which is quite popular, if sort of quite marginalised, is for straw build um, buildings. And uh, so an old-fashioned way of uh, building houses would be to use straw bales literally as the walls. It's incredible because you imagine the insulation on it. It's very, very strong. And uh, they... You can plaster it using sort of uh, like either a lime sort of uh, mortar um, or, or on very prehistoric type things, more of a, a mud type thing mixed with horsehair, etc. Sorry, are you saying that people use this nowadays? People insulate their house with straw? Yeah, if they're building what you might call an eco house, um, it's not the insulation, it's the actual building blocks, but it just happens that it is also fabulous insulation. And, um, so instead and of bricks, that you can use straw. <laughs> yes, and wow. being that it's so compressed, it's it's actually um, it, it's not too much of a fire risk, believe it or not. Um, there's you know around us down in West Sussex, uh, Ben Law uh, used his uh, um, hay bale, no, sorry, straw bale, 
house, and that was on one of Kevin McLeod's. Um, what's it called? Desi- the design Grand designs. Program. Grand designs. Ooh. That's it. Yeah, and uh, that was one of his favourites. Mm. And uh, I think you can get it on iPlayer. It's it's a good watch. And um, you know, once you've listened to this podcast, obviously. <laughs> yes, exactly that. Yeah. So um, wow. So basically, That's yes. When when you're on your travels, look out for these lovely cereal crops. Um, cereal's quite in the news at the moment, actually, because um, it, it's one of these things that starts to irk me a bit because I love the idea of being self-sufficient. And at one time, this country was the, the forefather of plant breeding and animal breeding come to that, different varieties that suited different soils and that suited different uses. And... In this country, we've sort of we've, for some reason, we've we've started growing uh, some lower grade um, wheat uh, for quick profit and basically for animal feed, rather than the supreme stuff for human feed. And the result of that is that we have to import uh, um, grain from. Basically, all around the world. I mean, particularly Ukraine, which is very much in the news at the moment, and uh, and Canada, and one or two other countries. And you think to yourself, it's for me. It's sort of it's it's a it gives you a lack of security. You know, if if we knew how many million tons of uh, grain, or say wheat, barley, or oats we use, why can't we grow that? you know and so, you know stop exporting what we don't use and and cater for what we do use mm. yeah so so this is um something for our listeners to look out for then is it john this is the site. definitely yeah you'll yeah. see the combines that they'll be out there any day i suspect um don't know until after the the harvest is in but i suspect that the crop won't be that heavy um, I think it'll be a, a good crop in the, the seeds. Uh, I mean, one thing that can happen in a bad year is too much wet weather. And then you've got a chance of moulds growing. And then you've got a chance of losing the whole darn crop. So that, that's pretty disastrous. And, of course, if the, if the straw gets wet, you can't bale it. And it doesn't take long to break down and you can lose the whole of that. So wet can be bad. If this uh, warm weather continues for a few more days, we'll be seeing the seeing the balers all over the place, and the wheat harv- wheat and barley harvest will come in. Uh, but I suspect because of the the very dry weather, the actual ears of um, wheat and barley will be actually quite lightweight. So I th- I suspect the harvest will be sort of a, a lower yield than than hoped for yeah by the way those combine harvesters and and the tractors are amazing like Mm -hmm. i remember when i watched clarkson's farm like the things that they do are absolutely unbelievable yeah Um, i should look into them to help harvest my tomato crop i think (laughs) (laughs) they're not that advanced mate something more than that So um, that's something for us to look out for then, John. Thank you very much. Yes. What are we going to move on to next? Which sense? This is something which, um, because I'm now 
very much enjoying the outdoors and walking again. Um, and this is something I'm hearing both from adults and the young. Now, I want to just uh, play this to you and see if you can uh, have a guess what it is. Any clues? Hmm. <laughs> what type of creature are we looking for, John? Yeah, it is a bird. Okay. And, uh, Do you want to give it to us one more time? <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, that'll help. <laughs> no, that didn't help, actually. And I'm hearing that a lot at the moment. Oh, Rob likes his birds, so maybe Rob knows this one. <laughs> Floor is yours. Coward. No, I may, uh, honestly, honestly, mate, I wouldn't, okay. I wouldn't like to. Well, now you've heard it, it's quite a distinct call, um, and I want you to listen out for it, because this bird will crop up in uh, gardens in sort of towns as well as in the countryside. It's a green woodpecker. And uh, it's actually quite vocal because if I said to you, go for a wander during August, and we mentioned this last month, it's actually quite quiet. The the dawn chorus is virtually non-existent at the moment. And uh, most birds aren't what you might call singing, but they might be communicating. So they're making slightly different calls. And that, of course, is down to the fact that they're not... uh, very territorial at the moment and that they uh they're going through the molt so they're preserving their energy and uh and you know basically they're on the tail end of rearing broods of young so they they've got a a, a, a lot of sort of um strength to try and get back by just sort of living so that that's a green woodpecker and they're they're quite communicative and they're actually quite noisy and quite loud and they're an interesting bird, and they're they're quite easy to watch. If you hear one, just just hang round because um, they actually feed mostly on the ground, not up in trees. Their their particular favourite is feeding on ants, uh, whether it's the adults or the grubs or the eggs. They'll come down onto a lawn, and so you'll often see them on sort of in, in recreation grounds and places like that, especially if they've had the good sense to leave an area a little bit less mown than what you might call the pitches, etc. So a little bit of longer grass that allows the ants to live and then you'll get the green woodpeckers down. Um, they're quite amazing birds. You're unlikely to see their tongues, but their tongues are very, very long. They're, they're so long that they wrap around their brains when they're retracted. And <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> they can taste their mean? own brain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, so, so they're interesting to watch. They've got very, very strong feet, woodpeckers, but they're quite ungainly. They kind of got an awkward hop. Unusually for birds, they've got two claws facing forwards and two facing back whereas most of our birds have three facing forward and one back 
And uh, but woodpeckers are slightly different because they need to have this stability to sort of like uh, cling to. They cling almost vertically to uh, branches and um, tree trunks, etc. So, yeah, they're they're a bird of quite sort of like simple means. All they need is some uh, either rotting or dead uh, trees to nest in and some grassy areas that provide food. In the winter, if they're hard pushed, they'll feed on other invertebrates. But um, as I say, it's ants that provide the, most of the booty. And interestingly enough, that, that call that you heard, um, they, they're much more vocal in the spring, obviously, when they're territorial. But th- their old country name was Yaffle. And uh, I can't remember, wasn't it in Bagpus or something? Wasn't there a Dr. Yaffle, the woodpecker? Not one for us, I'm afraid, John. No, (laughs) but anyway, um, (laughs) one of the other things that they used to call it was the rainbird, because they used to say, uh, country people would say if they heard a green woodpecker constantly repeating that call, that potentially rain was on its way well i've been hearing it a lot over the past week and it's dry as a bone out there so <laughs> that one's not necessarily <laughs> true <laughs> so how likely are likely are we to hear or see the classic woodpecking action right i will ask you that's another good point really because the Thank green you. woodpecker <laughs> doesn't use its um hammering so much uh, in communication it's kind of uh, when you think of the the classic woodpecker it's a real drum roll type thing it's a sort of and uh, that is the great spotted woodpecker whereas uh. the um the the green woodpecker tends to be a lot more sort of um it's it's using it either to sort of hollow out its nest in which case it's like random it's not not a sort of staccato rhythmic volley of uh, pecs. <laughs> it's just random. Hmm. And uh, so uh, and with great spotted woodpeckers that do make the, the classic uh, woodpecker sound, you won't hear that this time of year either. Um, they have various calls, which I don't have to hand, but um, they don't actually... Um, they're not territorial at this time of year they're not making those you know they're not pecking wood for anything other than to to sort of call is it a communication thing the the great well both woodpeckers and incidentally there's a third type the lesser spotted woodpecker which is tiny and uh not very often seen but um particularly the other two name (laughs) does make sense (laughs) well it's lesser spotted it's uh it's, oh right! It's not. It's, very, in... it's not lesser, as in lesser. Um, it's, it's lesser in that it's it's very very small. It's not much. Oh, hang on. Uh, so do you mean lesser spotted as it's got less spots? Or... No, it's, it's a lesser woodpecker. It's smaller, <laughs> but it does look like a great spotted. Wait, um, I want to get. I want to cover this. So but is it just a coincidence you don't see it as often? Yeah. Uh, no, it's because it's much rarer. But it's it's, a, but is it I've called only... the lesser spotted woodpecker because it's less spotted or not? No. That's what we want to know. It's not. It's, no. Lesser spotted is much mm. smaller, about sparrow-sized, okay? Yeah. And great spotted 
are much, much larger. But what does the spotted refer to? Uh, well, yes, the, the plumage. In fact, you, you quite often <laughs> find, if you're lucky this time of year, the um, little uh, black feathers with great big sort of white dots on them. And, and that comes from the uh, great spotted woodpecker. Well, I'm stunned by that. I've, <laughs> I've lived my whole life thinking that it meant it was lesser spotted by humans. Yeah, it's it's stature, I'm afraid. <laughs> okay, but, uh, fine. I can't even remember what we're talking about now as far as the difference. But, um, but yes, the only time that they, you'll hear them drumming mm. for a courtship, and that will be ah. the great spotted, and that will be in spring. And that's a courtship thing, which means it's inviting females in and keeping other males at bay. You'll also hear the random pecking from both species when they're hollowing out their their nest sites in uh, trees, etc. So they, they need a tree that's sort of like remained upright but is in the process of dying or has died, so it's a little bit softer. Hmm. Right. Okay, then, John, you got anything else for us, sense-wise? This, this next bit was uh, prompted by... Um, our good friend Chalky, who found a little dead fox in her garden. And uh, it all seemed a bit of a mystery. Now, I've been uh, I've been out sort of doing a bit of walking, uh, and the foxes are actually quite evident at the moment around us, I think, because probably uh, they're finding collecting up food quite difficult. A, a, a big part of the fox's diet is actually invertebrates. It's things like earthworms and beetles and things like that. And, of course, with the amount of... Um, uh, with, with, with the lack of moisture we got at the moment, things like grubs and earthworms, they've literally gone deeper into the ground. So they're not available for the fox diet. So they will need to work harder and and move around more for their food now a a couple of nights ago and since i've actually heard another noise which i know you'll get in the towns as well so it's it's worth uh listening out for this so uh just have a little listen to this and see if it it rings any bells with sort of when you've had the uh the window open at night That an injured rabbit? No, it sounds like it. it sounds like something in distress. <laughs> That's actually a vixen having a dust up with her cubs. Now, at this time of year, the cubs are virtually uh, sort of independent, but the vixen they, they will still try and snatch a bit from vixens where they can. And of course, they're still hanging out in what ostensibly is her territory and late august is kind of time for them to move out now i'm wondering whether it's a a little bit earlier in the season than usual because i've i've heard this dozens and dozens of times when i've been out sort of uh, walking in the evenings and um especially if you've got a nice lamp with you 
you can actually sometimes catch up with the noise and then catch them in the process. And very often, it's you, you can't really pick them apart, but it's it's two, three, sometimes four foxes just having a bit of a dust-up with each other because it's the natural time for, you know, mum to say goodbye, you know, go find your independence because she's got enough difficulty keeping herself together. And, you know, as, as we all know, we've, we've gone past the summer solstice now and the, the evenings are very gently starting to draw in and that... Uh, will affect the hormones in in the adult mammals, and so she her maternal touch is starting to really wane now, and so she's driving out the cubs. Now, um, just coming back to this this little lost cub, uh, sorry, dead cub. Um, there wasn't too much clue about it, but this is the time of year when. Young cubs can find it very difficult. They've got to survive for themselves. They do have predators themselves, uh, you know, that, that will prey on them. And uh, But also they can find it really tough to find enough food, even sort of like if they get this awful thing called mange. This is what I was going to come on to because uh, I think that this... this uh, little um, fox cub may well have died of mange and it's something which is particularly bad when you get a, a big population it affects town foxes as well and uh, is caused by a rather vile little mite that burrows into the skin and that causes a, a lot of discomfort and itching so the foxes keep scratching themselves and they'll very often open up wounds by doing too much scratching which will get infected and one thing leads to another and suddenly they've got blood poisoning and i'm afraid they just snuff it which seems like you know a bit of a waste um but uh that is very very if if you see a fox that's got a very whip-like tail you can almost guarantee that it lost all that hair from its tail through mange. And sometimes they just have like a big white sort of bald patch on them. And that's where they've managed to survive mange. Uh, if it goes right round them, they'll, they'll virtually be decimated. And they very often turn up in sheds and barns and things like that because they just seek somewhere to go and curl up and sleep and sort of, you know, probably just find somewhere nice and cool and uh yeah they just die in the barns and such like so so it's a rather sad tale but i think that would be the... like john yeah all right <laughs> <It's> summer <laughs> yeah all right well let's just uh, think about those lovely sounds of cubs i don't even know what sense mum. that's supposed to be <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> I've got something really light next. Okay. Okay. So, another friend wanted to know what the truth in this was. Okay, so get this. She was shot on from a great height by a bird <laughs> and then continued on to have a really good day. Likewise... Her husband's car was completely splattered with bird feces and he also had a really good day. And her inquiry was, why is it meant to be lucky 
to be pooped on by a bird. Mm. And I so this is a genuine inquiry that we've had. This is a genuine inquiry. That's, a fa- that's fantastic. And that's, this is the type of thing that this podcast <laughs> has been set up for. We need to answer yes. these questions. Answering <laughs> <laughs> unanswerable. <laughs> yeah. And it, is, it is a good one. And I especially loved it because I didn't know the answer. I don't know why it's good luck to be shot on by a bird. Although right. Please tell me you have researched me. it before you've, of course. you've come yes. on to hear. Oh, okay, fine. I, yeah. I have a commitment to the success of this podcast, so <laughs> yeah. one needs to do a little bit of research. And apparently, uh, this, this, this um, folk tale, or whatever, um, originated in Russia, of all places. And uh, the, the idea of it sort of always was... What are the chances of being shot on by a bird? And they're obviously <laughs> so low that you ignore the negative about it and imagine the possibility of very great luck, which might be equally rare. <laughs> right. And that interesting is about spin on it. it. I think one of the most interesting things about the whole bird pooping thing was, of course, that birds don't actually wee or poo they've got one little tube which does the whole lot and it just produces fecal matter which is kind of a mix so uh and that is is collectively not called wee or poo it's called guanine and you might know that name from uh guano which was uh or is the term applied f- to masses and masses of bird poo when it used to be collected for fertiliser, um, particularly from seabird colonies and things like that. So the cliffs used to be like inches deep in gannets, sort of like uh, guano and things like that. And uh, I've got a feeling they um, it's very high in phosphates and things like that, so it makes for a very good fertiliser. So is that light enough for you? <laughs> it is, and interesting enough, when uh, Rach and I were in Paris, she got shot on by a bird as well. No, and, and did she have? We good had luck? a great day. Yeah. yeah, yes. At the time, she didn't feel lucky. I don't think. No, <laughs> no, and I think it does depend on the bird. There's a great difference between a gold crest and this maybe was a pigeon, a, a gull. Yeah, no, pigeons can't be too good. I don't suppose. No, <laughs> but um. Yeah, you don't want a go. <laughs> no, Let's not be fussy. Let's just be grateful for anything. <laughs> we are going to uh, go straight to section three and talk about Rob. What on earth, Father is doing this month? What on earth, Father is doing this month? Father, take the floor. Well, I'm making a, a very welcome and much-anticipated return to doing my foraging trips and um, uh, taking out some people to sort of, like, give them a little bit of guidance on, on what's out there and what's easy to obtain. Uh, it's great timing because the, the blackberries are starting to um ripen up and they're a good staple elderberries will be ripe and uh you need to get in there fairly quickly before uh they get harvested by sort of all the birds and um you can never actually reach a lot of elderberries so the, the birds do get plenty but 
you know, you do need quite a few to make hopefully something like elderberry rob, which is a really important drink that we've mentioned it before. And what did you call uh, it? It's elderberry <laughs> rob, but... as in Robbie. And uh, <laughs> what, what, what does the rob mean? That's just what it's called. It's a very, very old recipe, actually. It's one of the oldest recipes that was uh, passed on on the written word. It was, um, it's probably used way beforehand, but the monks used to make elderberry rob to guard against uh, ailments of the lungs. So you're talking mm. coughs, colds and influenza, basically. Um, very much proved to be an... Uh, antiviral um, product and uh, is being used for uh, in in research about um, how virus cells reproduce themselves. So elderberry rob in itself, it's it's you can fairly confidently say it won't stop you getting a cough, cold, or the flu, but it can stop it getting worse. So you you get it much more mildly. Uh, mm. So I've already made a batch actually, and um, so it's it's worth it, the the recipe itself is very available on on the uh, internet. Uh, the interestingly the the contents of it changed quite a bit. I th- thought that the monks would have probably uh, preserved their elderberries in honey. But ever since the sort of spice trade and such, like in the 17th century, we started to add cloves and uh, ginger and um, cinnamon to it, which add, add sort of like benefit, really, add, add value to the product. What's in Johnny's recipe? How did you make yours? Elderberry uh, Johnny. Mine is made with... with <laughs> um, my preservative, for better or for worse, is sugar. And so, effectively, mine is made as a cordial, and uh, it's got a lot of cloves in and uh, cinnamon, and and ginger actually, and um, so you just, you know, pot it up and use it sort of like you know if you had something like a teaspoon a day, you can use it as a drink, and you like a cordial or just sip it or however you like, but. I think the idea is that you sort of feed it through the winter rather than just saying, oh, I'm going down with something. I better take it. And uh, so, mm. yeah, that's how we've used it. And uh, in general terms, we do pretty well, you know, uh, on the, the cough and cold front, um, notwithstanding the fact that we've sort of become very virus aware these days. Um, it would be interesting to see how it, it sort of maps out in the fight against COVID. Uh, maybe we should, we should uh, try that experiment. <laughs> mm. So um, so you're having a forage then? I'm going to be foraging and there, there's all the things like that I've mentioned a few things that are available right now, but there there are things to keep your eye out on that are not quite ready, but if you know where they are, you're going to know where to harvest them. So, and I've been thinking, you know, things like crab apples and uh, the blackthorn fruit, which is called slows. Slow gin? Yeah, for gin. There's there's all sorts. There's, there's hazelnuts and there's chestnuts will be coming along a bit later in the year. And um, it's it's sort of knowing knowing where to look and just knowing how to identify 
uh, what's useful. And I think it's really timely, actually, because, again, I'm sort of thinking sort of long lines of like sustainability, getting to know sort of our own place in nature. And I, I like the idea of just reducing our air miles as much as we can. It's starting to look at food as being locally acquired, whether that's stuff that we're purchasing or whether it's stuff that we're trying to provide for ourselves. If I know that sort of my sort of uh, what I put on the table has got a, a much lower air mile sort of component to it, I'm going to feel a lot better sort of in sort of what you might call sort of ecology terms about eating it. You know, it's, I'm 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 a bit miffed about the more I find out how much we import and how far it comes, the more I think, yeah, that might be a nice healthy food. And it, you know, I've got nothing against the countries that export it, but very often we just don't need. We can provide for ourselves, but we we've we've gone down a different route. So um, so yeah, that's one of the things that sort of like you might say playing on my mind in the culinary sense <laughs> mm. and of course uh john you are available to host people on a foraging walk yes yeah um if you go to johnnytaylor.com that's j-o-n-n-i-e uh taylor.com um there'll be some details going up there um so i say i'm literally just coming back to it i've i've put five dates together and uh just to get going and um alongside that we'll be doing the the bushcraft activities and such like being particularly careful obviously with you know where and as we're lighting fires at the moment because the the countryside is quite dry at the moment and we've had a few local wildfires and um you know we've just got to be a, you know particularly mindful of the fact that sort of it's it's dry out there you know and uh, it won't take long. It, it it doesn't take much for an area of heathland or something like that to go up in flames. Mm. Okay, thank you, John, for uh, all of that information. And Pleasure. And thank you, Elderberry Rob, as ever, <laughs> um, or Tomato Rob, as you're locally known. That's Mate, it, do you yeah. let us know what what you do with your yield because it is very impressive. No, I will. Um, I'll post a video of what it looks like now on the Instagram, and then I'll yeah, uh, yeah, keep you posted with what on earth I do with them. Yeah, no, we're looking forward to that. Um, so yeah, and everyone have a good rest of August because next, John, I presume for September we're heading into autumn. Yes, we're heading into autumn and so as such we'll have the delicious autumn equinox to um to celebrate and uh it's things like the fallow rut. Uh we're looking out for big changes in all right, behavior. don't give it all away then, John. Okay. They can just tune in in a month's time. <laughs> yeah, just tune all right, in. Thank you all for listening. We'll have some surprises. And <laughs> we will see you next month. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers, guys. Bye. Enjoy the nature. <laughs> oh, yes. Enjoy the nature. <laughs>